good morning, Grace. For those of you I don't know yet, my name is Chris Colquitt. I am the uh, RUF campus minister, which means I work with college students over at Northwestern. Um, and it's a pleasure to be with you all this morning. Our scripture reading today is from 1 Peter chapter 1. We're continuing our series in 1 Peter. If you'd open up in your Bible there, if you don't have a Bible, it is printed for you in the, pew, in the bulletin uh, that you have. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll just be reading two verses this morning, verses 20 to 21. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. He, this is Christ, Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This is God's word. It is absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Let's pray for our time this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have gathered us under your word, and we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in it. Lord, we could not know you if you did not tell us about yourself, and you have done this in your creation. You have done this in your scriptures, and you have done this in Christ. And now as we attend to your word, we pray that you would help us that your Holy Spirit would be with me and all of us, that we would see and treasure Christ in this text and in our lives. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, as Stephen mentioned, this morning is Palm Sunday. On Palm Sunday, you may be wondering why we have palm branches. Jesus comes into Jerusalem for what will be the last time. He walks down the Mount of Olives towards the gates of Jerusalem, and his Followers proclaim him to be the Messiah. Quoting from Psalm 118, they say, Hosea, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He is fulfilling Zechariah 9.9 as he rides on a donkey into Jerusalem as the promised king, the promised savior of Israel. Palm Sunday begins the events of Holy Week that we'll be celebrating in the week ahead. Good Friday is just around the corner, and then Easter. Two things that are significant about Palm Sunday and and this week that lies before us. The first is that Christianity is a historic religion. It's a religion grounded in history. Christianity is not simply a philosophy of life. It is not some mystical understanding of who God is. Christianity, at its heart, is a revealed religion that was revealed through a man who came to this world 2,000 years ago and lived and breathed and died and rose again. Christianity is a historic religion. It's also, we see in the events of Palm Sunday, a messianic religion. Christianity has a savior, a messiah, Jesus. His entry into Jerusalem is as the king, as the promised one, as the savior. So Christianity is both historic and messianic, and our text this morning in 1 Peter invites us, I think appropriately for this week, to reflect on this question, what difference, what difference does Jesus make to our faith? That may seem obvious to you, But I want to suggest that it's worth looking into and also worth interrogating our hearts to see exactly how Jesus operates within our faith if we are Christians. 
What if Palm Sunday had never happened? What if there was no Holy Week? What if we just had an idea of the God and the Bible and no Jesus? Isn't it enough to believe in God? Lots of people don't believe in God today. Doesn't that get us a lot of credit? I think we can, we can have this weird uh, Santa Claus version of Christianity, right? All the Santa Claus movies have basically the same story. Right? You need to believe in Santa Claus and good things will happen. Either his sleigh will be able to fly or you'll get the presents. Whatever it is, believe in Santa and good things happen. Is that what it means to be saved by faith? Is that what it means for us to be Christians, that we believe that God exists? Is that enough? And wouldn't it be better in some ways if there was no Jesus? Because Jesus is very particular. People, people don't always like Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Wouldn't it be nice if it was just a general belief in God? What, what does Jesus do for our faith? What role does he play, and is he necessary? First Peter 1, 20-21 is going to help us answer this question. I want to suggest this text shows us two things that matter. That Jesus gives us access to God, we believe in God through Jesus, and then secondly, that he shows us the benefits that God gives us, and thus we have hope. We have faith and hope, Peter says, because of what God has done for Christ. Those will be our two points this morning. We'll unpack them as we go. First, access. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1. In verse 20, it says, Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest. He appeared in the last times for the sake of you who are believers in God. For Peter, it was important that Jesus appeared. He was made manifest. He appeared for the sake of you who are believers in God through him. There was a reason Christ needed to appear. For your sake, for our sake, for my sake. Now, why? Well, if we look at that second half of that sentence, he was made manifest for the sake of you, verse 21, who through him are believers in God. Here's the key that Peter is trying to get us to see. You are believers in God. The outcome of that faith is the salvation of your souls, we saw earlier in the text. You're believers in God through Jesus. We need him to appear so that we can believe through him. That's what Peter's telling us here. And this word through is hugely important. Jesus is our access to God. Jesus is our access to God. We believe in God through him. This past weekend, we were in Texas, and on Monday, I had the chance to attend the practice rounds of the Dell Match Play, which is taking place in Austin. Uh, it's a big golf tournament. The finals are on today. Uh, the Dell Match Play takes place at Austin Country Club, and uh, what's interesting about Austin Country Club is that they have to take a vote to decide whether or not they're going to let the PGA Tours, the best players in the world, come and play on their golf course for a week. And you, you might be surprised to learn that that actually is a very contentious vote. It's not totally clear that everyone there thinks that those people should come play on their golf course because it means they don't get to play for two weeks, right? They don't want all, the, all that going on. And so as a result, it passes, but it passes with a lot of benefits for the members. This is especially true during COVID. And so on Monday and Tuesday, the practice rounds, the only people that are allowed on the golf course are members. 
and their guests. And I got to go, but I am not a member of Austin Country Club. Why did I get to go? I got to go because my father-in-law is a member of Austin Country Club. And he took me, and so we went, and as we're walking in, he hands me my ticket, which is a badge. And that badge is not just saying you're an admitted entry. It literally says on the badges, guest of John Needham. I walked into Austin Country Club and walked around the grounds that day because I was a guest of John Needham. My identity that day was as his guest. He was my access on that day. I attended the practice round through my father-in-law. Our faith in God is through Jesus, Peter says. We believe in God through him. I couldn't attend the Dell match play practice rounds on my own because I wasn't a member and I wasn't invited. So I needed to go through my father-in-law. Why then do I need access to believing in God through Jesus? Two challenges that sit before us as we seek to have access to God that Jesus solves. One is that we can't know God, and two is that we're not righteous. We have a knowledge problem and a righteousness problem. Let's look at these in turn. Our knowledge problem is simply this. God, as creator of the universe, is unknowable unless he tells us about himself. C.S. Lewis has a famous analogy that Hamlet can't know about Shakespeare unless Shakespeare writes himself into the play. And the same is true about us as creatures of God. God could have created this world with no access to himself, no hint of his existence. For us to know God, he has to show us himself. And the Bible tells us that he has. He's done it through creation, he's done it through his word, and ultimately he's done it through Jesus. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3, tells us that long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. It goes on to say that Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Paul in Colossians 1.15 describes Jesus as the image of the invisible God. Jesus himself in the Gospel of John says, If you have seen me and believed in me, you have seen God and believe in God. Jesus is the revelation of God to us. We could not know God without him. We could not believe in God without him. And so our belief in God is through him. He solves the knowledge problem. He is the revelation of God. But there's a second problem. There's a righteousness problem because we can know about God, but believing in God is not something we're going to want to do or that will be pleasant for us unless we have a right relationship with him. In John 3.20, Jesus says that for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. If we know about a holy God, we will not want to be with him or acknowledge him if we are not holy. If God's going to zap us, we're going to stay away. And so our belief in God is through Jesus because he solves that problem. Verse 19 from last week, just before our text, tells us that you were ransomed. 
from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Christ has sprinkled you with his blood and cleansed you so that you may believe in God in comfort, so that you may believe in God in assurance, so that you may believe in God in renewed and restored relationship. To have a relationship with God, we have to know who he is, and we have to be right with him. And Jesus comes and solves both of those problems. And so our faith in God, our belief in God, our relationship in God is through Christ. We need a name tag that says guest of Jesus Christ to be with God. And he gives that to us. We have access. Our second point then, we see that Jesus, we need him for access. We also, our faith and hope, Peter says, is grounded in the benefits that we see Christ receive. Let's look back at our text. We saw Peter expand on the you for whose sake Christ appeared. We are those who believe in God through him. And then he expands on God in that second half of verse 21. God, who raised Christ from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. God raised Christ and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Now that word, so, that, that phrase, so that, has the meaning of, with the result that. God raised him from the dead and glorified him, which resulted in your faith and hope being in God. So we could turn that around and say our faith and hope are in God because Christ raised him, or he, God raised Christ from the dead and gave him glory. Your faith and hope are in God because Christ raised, was raised and given glory. We believe through Christ. That's our first point. We have access. But then the second point is that our faith and hope are grounded in what God has done for Christ, his benefits. Back to the golf course, after we walked in and watched some uh, folks on the driving range hit absurdly straight shots, it was lunchtime, and so we went up to get lunch, and I'm excited about getting my bag of chips and hot dog at a sporting event. That seems like a reasonable thing to do, but instead we walk up and into a special area that, again, you had to be a member at. I'm not sure how, I guess the riffraff journalists weren't welcome in, the, other, the few people who were there. And I go to the bathroom to wash up and come back, and I see my father-in-law sitting at the table with a plate before him that can only be described as a Texas Thanksgiving meal, all right? We've got smoked brisket, this incredible pork thing, these Brussels sprouts, mashed potatoes, salad. It was a feast on a Monday at a sporting event. I'm like, are you kidding me? And, And he's like, yeah, go in. There's a buffet. Take whatever you want. And in that moment, before I went in to get there, to get the food, right, I was hungry, and I saw what my father-in-law had received. And I saw that I had a name tag that said, I was a guest of John Needham. And I knew that I could go into that, that room and get that same kind of food. And that is a picture, a very silly picture, of what our lives in this world look like today. We look at Christ, we see the benefits that he has received, his resurrection and his glory, and we know that that is ours because we are with him. We sit 
on our way in to grab lunch. We are living in that moment between observing Christ's benefits and receiving them as our own. We have faith and hope in God because God has raised Christ from the dead and given him glory. I was hungry for lunch, and I saw my father-in-law's plate, and you and I, in our life, we are hungry for resurrection and glory. And we can look to Christ and see what he has received and know it is for us. I wonder if you'd agree with me that if we look at our lives, we look at the lives of our family, our peers, our neighbors, we can explain an awful lot of what we do by running away from death and by chasing after glory. A lot of what we're all about is running away from death and chasing after glory. We spend so much time and money trying to be healthy, trying to escape death, and in the meantime, we are killing ourselves to get glory, whatever that looks like in our lives. And yet, and yet, perhaps you will also agree with me that that is a trying and frustrating affair. Because what we find is that no matter how hard we work at our health, how good of technology we have, that our bodies fall apart, that death is knocking at the door, that we cannot achieve the immortality we seek. Perhaps we know this in this season more than ever. And that glory that we are chasing after is really hard to get, whatever it is for you. It's really hard to find. And if you get it, it actually isn't that satisfying. Glory is less familiar to us than shame and guilt and a sense of meaningless and futility. Those things seem more characteristic of our lives. We are starving for glory and we are starving for life. And we look to Jesus and we see that he was raised from the dead and that he has glory with the Father. And he tells us that when he appears again, we will have glory with him. We will have resurrection life with him. He has gone before us, and so we have faith and hope. We have hope in God because we have seen what Christ has been given. We began this sermon by asking the question, what difference does Jesus make? And Peter tells us that Jesus is our access to God. We believe through him. And in Christ, we see the benefits that we receive, which give us faith and hope in God. Brothers and sisters, we need Jesus. We need Palm Sunday. We need Holy Week. We need Easter because without Jesus, we don't have clear access to God. Without Jesus, we can't really know who God is. We can only have vague notions, which will either be the pains of our conscience convicting us, or possibly us cherry-picking things from Christian religion and its effect on our culture to say, oh yeah, God's loving, I think. He's, you know, he'll be okay. Right? Those are our two options. Without Jesus, we can't be righteous. 
our lives turn into morality projects. One way or another, we become self-righteous on the left or the right, interpersonally, or we just have to hope that God's not going to care. Without Jesus, we don't have access to God. And without Jesus, we have no reason for hope in this life. We have no reason for the benefits that he expects. What makes you think that you will be risen from the dead and glorified? What possibly could give you that hope except for Jesus Christ? Death is knocking at your door and glory is hard to get, so you better get out there and do your best without Jesus. You certainly need not rest. Go and get it. But with Jesus, with Jesus we have access and with Jesus we have comfort We have hope, we have the benefits of Jesus, and they are ours. God sent him into this world for the sake of us so that through him we might believe and in him we might see the benefits that are ours. Jesus is fundamental to our faith. Palm Sunday ties us to that. Holy Week ties us to that. Those people of Israel... Jesus' followers, as he enters Jerusalem, know that they need a Savior, a particular Savior, a Messiah who will save them, and they hail Jesus as King. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, as you have a faith, or if you do not have a faith this morning, may it be through Jesus and in Jesus that you believe in God. Trust in him. He gives you access and he gives you benefits that are in him forever. Rest in him, brothers and sisters. He is everything for us. Never settle for anything less. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us in Jesus. We thank you that receiving him is not a difficult task. It does not involve monumental contortions or changes, Lord. It only involves us receiving with empty hands that which he has given to us by faith. Thank you for your son, our Savior. Oh, that our faith would be through him and in him and that through him and in him we might have hope in this life to live as strangers and exiles in this world, laying down our lives in love, with joy inexpressible. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.